talked about how we need to disconnect ourselves, unplug ourselves from technology. We are no longer just consumers of, of technology, of, of devices, but we have become consumed. Our lives revolve around uh, technology, and Pastor jumped into that. And then in week two, he talked about how we need to, after we talked about unplugging from God, we need to plug in to the Word. He talked about our battery life and how we lose battery like our devices. And he, he's been bringing up a lot of similarities between us as humans, us as Christians, and devices. And uh, and I, we have, we are actually really similar in a lot of ways. And so I was, I was kind of thinking about some of the similarities between us as humans and devices, like how, how are we similar? And I mean, clearly there's, you know, computers and devices, they have battery lives and we have a heart, you know, that keeps us alive. And uh, computers have a hard drive to store information. Uh, we have a brain, you know. Uh, computers, they have wires, they have circuit boards, we have, you know, blood vessels and we have, we have veins and things like that. And so there's a lot of similarities, um, but with similarities come similar risks, you know. If your device battery runs out and it dies, you know, then we lose our device. If our heart stops working, then you know we run into some issues. Um, you know, if uh, if our if the wires in your in your phone or your computer get bent or frayed, you know things aren't going to run right. Right? It's not going to run smooth. You know, if we if we have a clogged artery, you know we're going to the hospital because you know some things can go bad really quick. And um, and so there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of pros and cons. And so um, there is there's some basic maintenance that we have for our devices. You know, there's some basic maintenance we have for ourselves. You know, we have to eat, we have to drink, we have to charge our phones, you know, we want to keep the dust clear, all this basic maintenance. Um, but with devices, we all, we all know about preventative maintenance too, right? Preventative maintenance, things that we do to, not necessarily that something is going wrong right now, but to protect us from something that could go wrong. And, um, and so we have that on computers. You know, a lot of times when we talk about preventative maintenance for computers and devices, we talk about it to prevent ourselves from being hacked. And uh, if you guys looked at the Engage card, you cheated, and you saw my sermon title. Um, and we're, this morning, we're going to talk about being hacked. We're going to talk about that we ourselves, as even as Christians, even as believers, we run the risk every day of being hacked. And so we're going we're gonna to jump into that a little bit. And um, if you don't know what hacked is um, or, or what it's like to be hacked, you're either a Mac user or you're blessed. <laughs> and um, the word hacked essentially means this. I like to... I like to be very real when it comes to certain terminology. And hacked means this. It means uh, to, uh, to gain unauthorized access to a data in a system. To gain unauthorized access to data in a system. Um, and so we as Christians, we run the risk of being hacked by the enemy every day of our lives. The enemy, a.k.a. Satan, a.k.a. the devil, whichever word you choose to use. When I refer to the enemy, Satan, or the devil, I'm referring to all three this morning. Satan is the enemy. And we run the risk of being hacked. Yeah. Yeah. And a, a lot of times, a lot of times I think we as Christians think, oh, I'm not being hacked. Like, I'm not possessed by the enemy. I'm talking about something very different this morning. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about being possessed or demon-possessed. I'm talking about the very simple acts of us going through life. And, and being hacked. And, uh, and uh, it says this in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, it says this. It says, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Church, how many of us know that the, that this, that the enemy is looking for a way in? He's looking to find that unauthorized access. And a lot of times we don't even realize that we're being hacked. How many of us are at home and we realize that we're, we're being hacked on our computers? No, we usually get a Facebook message saying, like, hey, I think you're being hacked. Like, you know, hey, you're in this video. 
you know, exclamation points, you know, or you get a, you get a message saying, you just won a $50 million cruise, congratulations, you know? It's like you don't realize you're being hacked until you've already been hacked. And, um, and it's an unfortunate thing. And so this morning we're talking about some preventative maintenance. And so if you have your Bible, um, turn with me to Genesis 3, chapter, uh, yeah, Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. And we're going to be reading about um, a story um, early in the Bible. And I think I, I was uh, trying to do my best to find where we can get a full picture of how the enemy attacks us. And I was looking at different things. I was looking at the story of Job. You know, we see, uh, we see Satan being uh, attacking Job there. And then uh, we, we look at even when Satan tempts Jesus, we see Satan attacking there. And I wanted to stay away from Revelation because, you know, uh, that can get you know, controversy about different things. And so really, I think the best way where we see the enemy's attacks is right in the beginning. And so here we go. Genesis 3, 1 through 6 says, this, uh, says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Church, can we just bow our heads so we can pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for this morning, God. We thank you for the sermon series, Lord, that you can bring clarity to us, God. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you've given us uh, the opportunity to prepare ourselves, Lord, from attacks from the enemy, God. Lord, I thank you for a church like this, God, Lord, where we don't have to go through this alone, God. Lord, where we don't have to go through life alone fighting the enemy, God. Lord, one, we have each other by our side, the left and the right, God, but we have you, Lord, at the center, God. Lord, we have you at our, right with us this whole time, God. Lord, teaching us, leading us, and guiding us, God. We pray that your word Word this morning, it gets written on our hearts, God, and we walk away, Lord. Lord, protected from attacks of the enemy. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Church, how many of us know that in order to protect ourselves from a hack, sometimes we have to understand what those hacks are? When I was um, in my early years of college, uh, I took a CS CISS class, which is a computer class, and uh, it talked about website security. Um, and so in order for us to learn about website security, my professor thought the best way for us to learn about website security was to go hack some websites. You know, he figured if we knew what we were getting, our, if we knew how to do it, we knew how to prevent it. And so he sent us out on some, some uh, adventures of hacking different um, college servers um, across the nation. Um, this is a real thing. And, but I'll tell you what, we learned a lot about hacking really quick. Um, and uh, we, we didn't steal information, all right? We didn't go into IP addresses. Don't, we just got up to the door, you know? And, uh, and we knocked, that was all. And the thing is, is that sometimes we have to learn about what these hacks are in order to protect, protect ourselves from, from them, you know? And, um, and so this morning, and this morning, we're gonna talk about three ways that the enemy attacks us. And you know, you guys know me, you guys know I'm a tech guy. I'm also, uh, I'd like to try to make things very easy to remember. And so if you're taking notes, you can know that these three things all start with the letter D. So this morning, church, we're going three-dimensional, we're going 3D, running with our tech series. And so the first one is this. The first attack we see from the enemy is that the enemy divides. Right in Genesis 3, verse 1, we see this. We, say, we see the, the, the serpent talking to Eve, and he says, he says this. He says, did God really say? Did God really say? Right off the bat, the, the first words out of his mouth 
is to create division between Eve and God. But did God really see? Uh, but did God really say? See, he begins to get, get Eve to start second-guessing what God even said. And now if we remember how this story went, we understand that Eve wasn't there when God said these things. So I think that's what makes Eve the perfect candidate. I don't think the serpent went after Eve because she was the woman. I don't think that's a superior, inferior thing. I think, I think that the serpent went after Eve because she wasn't there. Adam was there. Adam heard the word of, the God, word of God. Eve was not there. What Eve heard was an interpretation from Adam. And so when we start to interpret the scripture, sometimes things can get shaky. And so the enemy knows this, and so he comes at Eve, and he says, you're, you're not going to die. Don't worry. You're not going to die, but you're going to be like God. You're going to be like God. He immediately brings division between Eve and God and gets Eve to compare herself to God because she then realizes for the first time, because no one's ever pointed it out before, that she isn't God. Well, what's wrong with not being God? This is the first time someone's brought it to Eve's attention as well. She's got a lot of first opportunities right here. The first time someone brought something to Eve's attention that maybe there's something wrong with her because she's not a certain way. That maybe something's wrong with her because she's not like God. Have you ever had someone tell you something that you do or like they point out something that you do or you don't do and you immediately feel like they're trying to be superior than you because you do or, do, or don't do this? I see this a lot, and um, I talk about food a lot, mainly probably because Pastor Tom talked about food a lot, but food's the best way for us to see this. And, uh, and I can talk about food, I can talk about allergies, because you know I'm gluten intolerant, dairy intolerant, corn intolerant, I had water for breakfast, it's fine. The thing is, is that I can talk about food because I, I know what it's like. But sometimes, I mean, even myself is like, oh no, I'm sorry, I can't have that, like I'm gluten intolerant. Sometimes I've had conversations with people, you know, where they're like, no, I'm sorry, I, I can't go eat there, I'm vegan. You know, and I'm just like, oh man, like, is there a problem with eating meat? You know, and they're just like, no, I just choose to be vegan. And then you immediately start second guessing everything. You're like, man, maybe I shouldn't eat a cow. Like, what does the Bible say? You know, you're going off this whole thing. You're like, you got two Big Macs in both hands. You're like, how can this be an issue? I'm a 16 year old kid, and I'm like, I didn't know that fast food was gonna kill me. You know, and so sometimes we begin to second guess, and it's nothing that the person said. See, I, I don't, I don't blame people who are like, no, like, listen, like, I'm gluten intolerant, I can't eat that, or I'm lactose intolerant. Sometimes I think what it is that the enemy takes what's said, and when we receive it, he twists it in our mind. I think, I think, I think, he's, I think he's crafty like that. I think, I think Satan will manipulate the words that come out of our mouth. And I think so often we're just so quick to judge, like, so-and-so, man, yeah, they think they're better than me, man. They're on all these diets and stuff. Come on. You know, like, he just keeps throwing his vegan concepts at me, man. And I'm just, I just want a burger sometimes, you know? And uh, it makes it so difficult to go out and eat, you know? on. We all know, man. We all know. You know, what, what it is is that it's, it's the enemy turning what's been said and manipulating it the way we're receiving it. You know? Yeah. This is the first time you've ever thought about this. No one's ever said that they're, well, what's wrong with, with being me? What's, what's wrong with me? You know, why, why would you even ask that question? But the serpent brings up, hey, you know, if you do this, you can be like God. She, like, maybe this is the first time she's ever thought about being like God. She asks her, you know, she, she tells herself, I'm not God, but I can be like God. Now, maybe we don't go around every day saying that to ourselves, because I don't think all of us are running around trying to be God. Um, you know, the word does tell us to be like Christ, but I don't think we make that necessarily like our ultimate, you know, villainous goal in life. 
But how many times do we tell ourselves, I'm not something, but if I have this or do this, then I'll be something? How many times do we look in the mirror and say, I'm not beautiful, but man, if I, if I do this new, this, new, uh, this new skincare, if I do my hair a certain way, if I, if I wear this certain outfit, then I'll, I'll look beautiful. How many times do we follow celebrities on, on social media, on Instagram, on, on Facebook, whatever, and, and we look at ourselves and we're like, well, I'm not, I'm not famous, but he wears this brand, and so if I wear this brand, then I'll look famous. How many times do we look at what the wealthy people do? Like, you know, I, I appreciate articles that say, you know, 10 things uh, you know, billionaires do before they get out of bed in the morning. And I'm just like, oh, how, how is he doing 10 things before he gets out of bed? You know what I mean? I appreciate articles like that because it gives us some insight, but we can't compare our lives to that, you know? And the thing is, is that we, we see like, oh man, you know, if, uh, if, if, they, if they're doing these 10 things before they wake up, then I better do those 10 things. And then I can tell people that I do these 10 things and then it'll look like I'm with the wealthy. How many times does this conversation come across our mind? You know, and back to the food, how many times are we looking at a menu going, oh, man, I really want that burger, but you know, my one friend told me that, uh, you know, vegan's the way to go. So yeah, I'll get the grass latte, yeah. And we take that instead, you know? How many times do we go with that? I'm, listen, I'm just as guilty, this is me. I'm standing in Whole Foods going, I really want a coffee, but I'll take a wheatgrass shot. And I'm like, this is what I want. And then I take it and I'm like, this is a bad idea, you know? Bad idea. And, um, and I think we need to take care of our bodies. You guys know I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when it goes too far. And, um, but Eve's here, she's hearing this story and she's going, I'm not God, but I can be like God. She's comparing herself. She's seeing where she's at. She's seeing who she's not. And she's saying, I can be like God. Church, comparison's a dirty game. We have to understand this. Comparison creates division between who we think we need to be and who God wants us to be. I'm going to say that again. Comparison creates division between who we think we need to be and who God has called us to be. Amen. There's a difference between what we think we need and what God has called us to have and called us to be. God never told Eve to be like God. God never told Eve that she needed to be God. Like I, like I, I mentioned earlier, you know, later in, in scripture, we see Paul talking about, you know, we, need, you know, we want to be Christ-like, and that's, that's the endeavor. You know, that's, that's where the word Christian comes from, is because people were being Christ-like. And so we endeavor to be like that down the road, but we're, we're way in the beginning. This is Genesis. We're still in the garden, you know? And so where does she get this idea from? See, the thing is, is that Satan, the enemy, put a thought in her mind, and that thought was so twisted and manipulative that it got Eve to compare herself to God. He convinced her that she wasn't okay the way God made her. And how many, how many of us struggle with that? Man, if I could just look this way, if I could just be six inches taller, man, if I could just be four inches shorter, I would hit my head on the doorpost every day. You know, I don't have those problems. You know, I get frustrated when I'm shopping for clothes, though. And, like, if I was just a 32 lengthwise, all of my pants would fit. But I'm not, you know? So I got to go low, and then none of my pants fit. That's how it works. <laughs> and so how many of us go through life, and I'm talking about real simple stuff, because these are the simple things where the enemy's going to destroy our day. Sure, I'm just shopping for clothes. Sure, I'm just buying food. 
But what happens if we keep running into the issue, running into the issue, running into the issue, and we get to the end of the day, and all we realize is all the things we can't do. We end up buying all this food we don't want to eat, but we're eating it because someone told us that they eat it. We end up buying all these clothes that we don't even want to wear, but they told us it was a cool trend, so hey, I'll throw it on. You know, we end up, we end up looking in the mirror at the end of the day, and no, we're not beautiful because we're not who God created us to be. We're some other distorted monster that the enemy has turned us into. And all of that adds up. So my question for Eve, right in the beginning would have been this. Eve, who are you doing this for? You know, she's not, she's not doing it for God. That's obvious, you know? Like, I can tell you right now, like, my relationship with my brother, my brother, I, I know that me being like my brother is not going to make us closer. It's going to actually draw us apart because then we're going to be competing for who's the better Jordan medic, you know? And so, like, that's not going to help anybody out. And I imagine that God's very similar in that relationship. I don't think that... It, God created us so there could be more gods. He would have just created a bunch of gods, you know, and he didn't do that. And so she's not doing it for God. Is she doing it for herself? Was there a level of insecurity for Eve? I can't imagine they're running around the, the garden. Literally, you know, we read in scripture, they're running around naked. So there's no insecurity there, okay, guys? Like, God's got the righteousness on her. So it's not for that. Was it for Adam? Were they having marriage problems? You know, maybe he was, I don't know why he wasn't there in the first place. Maybe he's off and he's like, don't see this. She's like, oh, man, I just got to be a better, a better person for Adam. And so, you know what? Adam really likes God. And so if I'm like God, Adam will like me more. Do we ever say that to ourselves, too? Come on, guys. Do we ever say that? Man, so-and-so doesn't like me, but they like so-and-so, and so I'll just be like them. Comparison's a dirty game, church. Did you know if it's a snake? Like, I know people do weird stuff for their pets, but this is too far, you know? And so my thing is this, is how do we recognize comparison? We're talking about hacks this morning. How do we recognize when a hack is coming? Galatians 1.10, Galatians 1.10 says this. It says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? Because if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So church, this morning, we need to ask ourselves, who am I doing this for? We need, to look, we need to really take a good look at what, at what we do in life, at what we decide is a good idea, at what at maybe, maybe we take it to the extreme of the things that we eat, the things that we wear, the things that we do on our free time. Are we doing it because we want to? Are we doing it because somebody else is doing it? And we need to ask ourselves, who are we doing this for? Because if we don't wake up every day, church, and ask ourselves, man, who am I living for? Then who are we living for? And why are we here? church, comparison is only going to hold you back from what God has called you to be. God didn't tell Eve to be God. God told Eve to be Eve. God didn't create Adam. God didn't create Eve to be like Adam. God created Eve to be like Eve. God created Eve the way he created her because God happens to like Eve. Likes Eve the way he made her. God, you know, you know why God likes Eve the way she is? Because God can work with the Eve that he made. God wants to, the, the idea of our purpose, the idea of the calling that God has for us is that God wants to work with us. God didn't create us so that we stay the same way our entire life. God created us a way that is best suited for him to work with us to bring us to where he wants us to be. He's called each one of us to a unique calling. Listen, God created you a specific way that out of 7 billion people in the planet, you have the best chance of being who he's called you to be. But you have the worst odds, the worst odds. You got better odds in Vegas. You have the worst odds 
at trying to be somebody else. Amen. The worst. The worst odds. Church, out of 7 billion people, God created you a specific way so he can work with you and bring you to where he has called you to be. And if you're here this morning you don't know that God has called you to a purpose and a calling, church, God has called you to a specific purpose and a calling. He has placed it on your life. And when we walk in the will of God, when we walk in the way that God has called us, that we are beginning to take the first steps in that calling. And maybe you don't know what that calling is. That's okay. I don't know what that calling is for you. But God does. He created you. He created you a specific way. When we walk in the will that God has called for us, that is who we're, that's, that's, that's our best chance for us to become who he wants us to be. Amen? Amen? Church, how do we recognize comparison? We ask ourselves, who am I doing this for? And I can guarantee if the answer isn't God, church, you're probably being hacked. Point two, the enemy distracts. Like I said, 2D right now. The enemy distracts. And it says this, Galatians 3.6. I'm going to turn there real quick. Galatians 3.6. Yes, this is a real Bible. This isn't just a preaching Bible. Genesis 3.6, it says this. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruits and she ate it. Church, the devil may not be trying to destroy your salvation at this point. At this point, he's just trying to distract you from what God has called you to be. There are some of us here today, and I, I can say that I, I, I believe that I'm one of them, that there is, there is nothing that I could possibly think of that the enemy could throw at me that would get me to denounce God. We even look at the story of Job. Literally, here's Job. God, Satan, they remove everything. They kill off his family. Everything's lost. Everything's gone. And he still doesn't renounce that God is real. He says what? The Lord giveth and he taketh away. There is very little that I believe that the enemy could do to stumble most of us in this room. Either A, we've had a supernatural encounter with God and we're like, no, there's nothing that's going to change my mind about it. Or we are just, we have seen God be faithful in our life time and time again and we are rooted. We are like that tree they talk about in Psalms. We are planted by the stream. Yeah. Church, Satan's not going to try and uproot that tree planted by the stream. It's too much work. He doesn't like getting his hands dirty. He likes to use his mouth. He's not a big guy. He's got a strong mouth. Church, he's not going to uproot you. What is he going to do? He's going to try to prevent you from bearing fruit. Church, Matthew 13, 18 through 23 says this. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. I like this because a lot of times Jesus tells parables and he doesn't necessarily always give us the answer of what they mean. And we feel like the disciples sometime and we totally miss it, you know. But this one is great because he tells us, hey, listen to what the parable of the sower means. And so it says this. When, the, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed fallen on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only for a short time. When it comes to trouble or persecution, because uh, comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. We're not talking about that. We're talking about that this morning. We're talking about this right here. Verse 22. The seed fallen among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Church, God is trying to do something in your life right 
Now, I can't tell you what that is. You probably can't tell you what that is. God can only tell you what that is. God is the one who's in control of that right now. He's the one who controls our steps. When we walk by faith, he's showing us where our next step is. He controls our steps. He, he is the one who's created that path for us. He's the one who has created that calling for each one of us. But the enemy is going to do anything possible by any means necessary. He's going to shout things at you. He's going to bring up stuff. He's going to try and choke you and keep you distracted from what he's called to do. Have you been in a worship service? We were just in, a, in an amazing worship service. And uh, have you been in a worship service and you just start nitpicking some stuff? You know, maybe the, the sound's too, too loud or, or, or too quiet. You know, it goes both ways. Uh, maybe the lights are too colorful. I don't know why that would be a problem. You know, maybe, uh, maybe Ronnie's busting out too many guitar solos. You know, he's got a pipe down. I don't know. I don't know. It could be anything. Maybe there's a typo on the screen. Maybe you get, maybe you get so caught up. Maybe you're uh, an English major. You get so caught up, and you're just like, there should be an apostrophe between the N and the T, and don't. That's it. I can't worship. I'm done. <laughs> and we check out. We're so distracted. Maybe it's that the door keeps opening and closing after the second song because, you know, not everyone's getting here on time. I don't know why. <laughs> worship leader problems. But how many times have we been in a worship service and something trips us up? Something gets our, something catches our eye. I don't know what it is. It could be whatever it is, you know? Maybe you got your phone on you and you're like, I don't know, texting your buddy. Who knows? There's so many, there's so many things that the enemy's going to try to do to distract you during a worship service. And then service ends. You know, you're like, the message was good. Pastor, give an encouraging word again. And you're there grabbing coffee afterward. And like, you know, somebody in the, a member of the church comes up to you. And they're like, man, worship was amazing this morning. They're crying. They're having a God moment still. Like, worship was a half hour ago. They're still crying from it. Like, worship was amazing. God touched me. God showed me so much about my life. Because I've seen those moments happen in worship. And you're just standing there like, dude, did you not see the typo on the screen? How could you focus? How could you focus? There wasn't an apostrophe between N and T and don't. How could you focus? And we miss it. And we miss it. We miss worship. Listen, Linda Kath had a word last week after Pastor Matt finished his message. And she came up and she said, Pastor was, was encouraging us to get into the word. Really get into the word. It was encouraging us to get into the word. And Linda Kath had a word and said, God is doing something. And she said, you can, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. She said, you can choose to be a part of it or not, is essentially what she said. And she said it a way more beautiful way because Linda is just so much better with words. Um, I don't know why they give me the microphone. But she said, you can choose to be a part of what God is doing or not. Church, we have a choice to be a part of what God is doing or not. God is doing something right now. We can be a part of it or we can sit back and watch. Church, on another note, God wants to do something in your life right now. There is what God is doing, which is a large picture. God's kingdom is always moving. God's kingdom is always growing. Things are always happening because God is always doing something. But then he is trying to do something in your life. He's knocking at that door. Open up, man. Let me in. Open up, man. Let me in. Open up the word, man. Let me in. And he's knocking at the door, trying to do something in your life. And we're just sitting here scrolling through Facebook. Seeing what God's doing in everybody else's life. Or what he's not doing in anybody's life. Because we're so distracted. Church, how do we recognize distractions? 
How do we recognize distractions? 1 John 2, 15 through 16 says this. says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Church, Satan is going to distract you with the things of the world. We see Eve here. We see Eve. It says that the fruit was, was, was pleasant to the eyes. It was something to be desired. I've never looked at, at a fruit like that, but Eve did. Maybe she was a vegan. It was desired. And I don't think it was the fruit she was desiring. I think it was what was what was behind it that she desired. Yeah. The wisdom, you know? Sometimes it's not always the physical thing. And so, do we desire to be on our phones all the time? No. But why are we really on our phones? Church, how do we recognize distraction? We ask ourselves, what is this for? What are we doing? Have you ever gone through the craziness of life and stopped for a second and just said, hold on. What are we doing? What are we doing here? I caught myself earlier this week doing this. I had a really crazy week. If you guys were with me, you knew how crazy my week was. It's not just because I was preaching this week. I had so much, you know, missed of college and this and that and crazy stuff. And, and uh, things were going wrong with some stuff. And, uh, and we had to fix all of it. And I was like, hold on, guys. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? Because so often we can get caught up in task after task after task after task after task. After task. And we're too busy for Jesus. What? Too busy for Jesus. How can we be too busy for Jesus? God's omniscient, omnipresent. He's there always. Don't you guys know? Corporate prayers on Thursday. We got Sunday service in the morning. We got engaged groups five days of the week. How are we too busy for Jesus? Are we busy all every single day of the week? Are we too busy for God? Church, do you think that what you can put into your own life is better than what God can put into your life? Do we think that we're the ultimate authors of our life? Listen, I know that there's cool posters out there that says, you choose your destiny. You know? You can choose it. Yeah, this is the game of life. But you didn't build it. You didn't design it. So why choose a destiny that wasn't designed perfectly for you? Come on. Church, we ask ourselves this. What are we doing? Church, every time we chase after a desire of the world over a desire of God, we give up a part of us. Every time we stay home from corporate prayer or we don't come to church and we're watching that TV, we give up something. Maybe, maybe the, the, everyone says time is the greatest thing you give up. You know, we only have so much of it because you can't get any of it back. That's true. But what do we give up for things of the world? I was hashing this out literally last night. I was going over my message, and I felt God just begin to speak to me. I'm like, oh, my gosh. We have so much more to lose. We look at people, look at celebrities on Facebook. We look at people who are famous, and we say, man, if I could just be famous, if I could just be famous, all my problems would go away. Yeah. You want to be famous? Guess what? You lose all your privacy. I have people coming to me and said they have, they have big problems with mega church pastors. They have big problems with uh, famous people among the church. And I said, man, they said, yeah, they got all this big stuff. They got all these big cars. They got all these big houses and stuff. And I said, you don't understand, do you? That guy lost one of the most valuable things in life 
the day God put him behind that pulpit. Privacy. You know, that, you know what that is? That's that thing you can do uh, when you've had too much of people and things are going crazy and you can't think straight. So you go home and lock your door and you're like, privacy. Yeah, they don't have that. They don't have that. Church, we sacrifice something every time we chase after a desire of the world. We risk losing something. Sure, you want the riches. Sure, you want the wealth. And I'm not talking about like just having a sustainable income. I'm talking about like immense wealth. I'm talking about anomalies here. You want that? Great. What is your family life going to look like after you're done? Do you know what you have to sacrifice to get there? I don't think we all do. I think some of us know. Church, the world is shoving sexual sin down our throat. It's in songs. It's in promo videos. They've got in Dorito commercials for some reason. They're throwing sex down our throat. Do you know what you lose when you begin to take part in sexual impurities before the call time? Purity. We begin to lose purity. We begin to lose that wholeness. We give up a part of ourselves. Church, how much of ourselves are we going to give up? Because yeah. if you keep chasing after the things of the world, you keep giving up a part of you. You keep taking this off, and you keep giving off the shirt off your back, and then you lose your arm, and then you give up your foot. What are we bringing to God? Yeah. What are we giving back to God? Come on, he gave us ourselves holy and full. Come on. And we give ourselves to the world for what? For what? Only to come back to God missing limbs with holes in our chest, ripped to shreds. Church, we can't chase after the pleasures of the world. Pastor Matt talked about our engaged groups that are launching. Um, my sheet's over there. They're launching um, in two weeks, I think. We're doing a book called After God's Own Heart. The book opens up talking about the pleasures of the world and the pleasures of God. And I think a lot of us sometimes we think that God doesn't want us to have pleasure. And we begin to get bitter or revolt, revolt against that. We're like, well, i got to dabble a little bit of the world's pleasure. Listen, God has pleasures for us and the world has pleasures for us. And the book begins to talk about how David had pleasures and wanted the pleasures and the things that God had to offer. And he continually threw away the things of the world. Sure, David made a couple of his own mistakes. King David made a couple of his own mistakes where he partook in some of those pleasures. And he said, it's not worth it. I can't do it. Not worth it. I need to begin to just soak in the pleasures of God. Church, God has pleasures that are God-focused. There are kingdom-focused pleasures, then there's world-focused pleasures. God is looking for men and women who are kingdom-focused. He is looking for men and women who are saying, you know what, when it comes to the time when I can choose between going to prayer or I can come to church or scrolling uh, through Netflix trying to find that new show, he's going to pick the, he's going to want to, he's going to move through the one who choose the kingdom-focused idea. And I'm not just talking about things at church. They're just very easy for us to recognize. But there's personal things that God's doing in you. You know what they are. And they're kingdom-focused. They're the kingdom-focused things he wants you to do. And we continually put them aside for the things of the world. i got to hurry up here. This is a tangent I want to go on. Church, we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing? Are we choosing kingdom-focused ideas or are we choosing God ideas? Yeah. Are we choosing the world ideas? Because if we continually find ourselves choosing the things of the world, guarantee you're probably being hacked. Yep. Church, I'm going to rush through this last point because we got to get to the end. we got to end here. Point three, the enemy distorts. Genesis 3, 1 through 3 says, I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to paraphrase it because we've been dealing with this the whole time. It says, is that what God said? He said this. It says, it says this. It says, uh, did God really say you must not eat anything in the garden? Luma said, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say do not eat from the tree in the middle of the, the, the garden. 
and do not even touch it. Is that what God said? Genesis 2.17. Genesis 2.17. What does Genesis 2.17 say? We're going to backtrack a little bit, like eight verses. 2.17. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it, for in the, the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. That's God speaking to Adam. You shall surely die. He didn't say anything about touching it. Like I said earlier in the beginning, there was, a, there, there was some level of communication. Maybe it's the, it's the fact that Eve's trying to be defensive because the serpent's telling her that something's wrong with her because she's not God. But she slips up. And the minute she slipped up, the enemy went all in. He dived right in. He saw the weak point, and he jumped in. Church, I can almost guarantee you the enemy will attack you at a point that you are most insecure. He's going to, we read at the beginning, 1 Peter 5, 8, he goes throughout as a lion seeking whom he may devour. It doesn't say he goes around devouring everybody, devours everybody. It doesn't say that. It says he seeks whom he may devour, whom he may. Church, who are we giving authorized access to this morning? Who are we, who are we allowing into our database and who are we protecting ourselves from? Church, real quick, you know how cookies work on a computer? You know those things you go and you go to shop for like, I don't know, you go and shop for, uh, for uh, something for your car and then all of a sudden you see car ads everywhere? Church, Satan's like that on steroids and he does it to us every day when we continue to allow him to enter in and attack us. He takes our insecurity and he blows it up in our face like a pop-up. But he doesn't just blow it up there and leave it there. See, a lot of pop-ups we see, they're just to annoy us. What Satan does is he tells you, this is who you are. He says, you think God can use you? You think God could really love you with who you are? Look at you. Eve, you really think God could use you? You're nothing like God. How could God use you? You're nothing like him. Church, I'm here to tell you this morning, God doesn't want you to try to be him. He needs you to be you. And the more we are being ourselves and the more we let God use us the way he created us, the more he's going to walk us to perfection, reflecting the perfect image of Christ. And then we're Christ-like. We don't endeavor to be like God or be God. We endeavor to be a reflection of his love and a reflection of who we are. Church, that has to be our goal. Church, what is Satan telling you right now that is so distorted? What is Satan telling you that's not true? And you may be asking yourself, Jamie, how do I even recognize what's true? I don't even know where to start. How can I know what's true and what's not? This is how we discern it. This is how we discern distortment. We compare it to the word. Church, our first line of defense against any attack of the enemy is the word. We see Satan tempting Jesus in Matthew. And, what is, and, and Satan comes at him with the word and a distorted version of it at best. And what do we see? We see Jesus turn around with what? The word. Yeah. Jesus turns around with the word. And he says, no, this is what it says. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Church, we need to know the word. We get, cru- we get criticized all the time, Pentecostals, Charismatics, non-denominationals. We get criticized all the time for not knowing the word. What if we took a stand and knew the word? What if we began to read our Bible like Pastor Matt was challenging us last week? And we knew the word, inside and out. We knew it. Man, what kind of attack could the enemy distort on us? None. Because we would be able to compare it to the word. Church, we need to ask ourselves, where is the truth? Where is this in the word? It's okay to slow down and not have all the answers. We compare it to the word. Church, 
If there is something that you're telling yourself or you, you're standing on and believing it and it's not in the word and you can't compare it, you're probably being hacked. And you can come on up and jump on the keys. This is, I'm going to end right here. Church, we need to know the word inside and out. We need to know what he says about us. We need to know the promises that are, that are in the Bible. We need to know who God has called us to be. We can't walk in the shadows of our weakness. Psalm talks about, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't walk through death. We walk through a shadow of it. I don't think it's a coincidence that when we first begin to walk out Christianity and follow God, we begin to see what's wrong with us, right? I mean, come on. How can, how can you see a shadow in a pitch black room? You can't see it until what? There's a light. Then you can recognize what a shadow is. Say, oh, I didn't know that was there. And then you begin continue to follow it, and that light gets bigger, and that light gets bigger, and it starts to go away. And then you're like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a light over here and get rid of that shadow. And you're like, well, you know about that shadow? We're seeing all these shadows. So, church, how how do we get rid of shadows? We ask you this: How do we protect ourselves from hacks? With our computers, firewalls, the actual terms, literally the term that the that the, the geniuses of the tech industry decided to use: firewalls. Zechariah 2, 1 through 5. I want to read this. It says, And I looked up, and I saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, an angel who was speaking with me was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet me. And he said to the second angel, Run, go tell that young man, Jerusalem will not be inhabited without wall, uh, like villages without walls because great number of people and livestock in it. I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, protecting her from enemies. And I will be the glory, where? At the center. Church, we need to stop putting up man-made walls around us to protect us from attacks from the enemy because they're worthless. It's like trying to build your own firewall. Have you ever tried it? I have. It's not easy. And I took CISS. It's very difficult to build a firewall. I'll tell you what. We don't have to build our own walls. I love this scripture. Tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it. Church, church, come on. Listen, sometimes I feel like things make sense in the word and we're like, ah, Jamie just searched for that. You know, he's just a good speaker. Found coincidence in the Bible. No, come on. It is the Word of God. Come on. It is the Word of God. Church, when we keep God at the center, we look to Him for direction. We remove the chance to compare ourselves to others. We need to run our own race, church. Church, when we keep our focus on God, laser focused, we make God our goal, not the things of the world. We eliminate distractions from the Listen, we use the word of God to compare, and we use it as our base for truth. It's our base, it's the foundation. This is what we compare it to, scripture. We can easily see what's being restored. Church, I want to leave you with this. We have an engage card, and it's got two things on the back where you can check it. It says, this week I will. And the first one says, you guys want to look at that, it says, keep God at the center of it all. Center of, of what? In all. All of it. The 
the details, the small ones, the big ones. I'll tell you what, God is a God about details. You know, I don't think the AV, I don't think I've seen them put more time into what font to use. It's easy to read or see the worship team go over transitions more than anything. Why? Because they care about details. You want to see details? Watch, watch the sound guy. Watch Griffin run the soundboard. You guys see him move that from negative 15 dBs to negative 14. Go, man, it sounds so much better. And we're like, dude, like, talking about why because they care about the details why because we know that god cares about the details because we want to bring a spirit of excellence how do we get to a spirit of excellence about details about the details of our heart god's not calling for perfection that's not what we're trying to do here because if he was calling for for perfection he would have said he would have told eve to be like god and that's not what he said church keep god at the center of it all i love the zechariah and I will be its glory within my, in the Amplified Version, it says, at the center of the city. When we keep God at the center, guess what? We don't need to set up man-made walls. We don't have to worry about attacks from the enemy. If we keep God at the center, God will be a firewall of protection around us. And when there's a fire all around us, when there's a light all around us, guess what? No more shadows. No more shadows. Church, the second point is this. Start a Bible reading plan with someone. Uh, I recently started doing this. I don't like doing it alone because down and start a Bible plan with someone. Church, we need to, uh, this is going off of what Pastor Matt said last week about having the word comparative. We need to know the word. What's the best way to begin to read the word? Start a Bible plan. Oh, Jay, sometimes I start and I just start to fade away. Great, do it with somebody. Church, if you check this box, I'll, I promise you this. This is, my, this is my promise to you. Up here behind this pulpit with this microphone. This is my promise to you. You check that box and your email address is on here. We have it in the database. I will personally send you a Bible reading plan through you version that you and I can do together. Okay? It, there may be 50 other people in the church that are doing it too because they check the box as well. But if you check the box, I'll send you an email. You'll get it probably Tuesday or Wednesday, and we can start. We can start reading the Bible every day. You check that box, I'll send it to you. You'll get it from me, it'll say, Jamie Medic. Check that box and have you even written down. I'll make sure you get it. And if next Sunday comes and you didn't get it, tell me and I'll pull up my phone and I'll send it to you. And I'll invite you. Because I care about this so much. Because Pastor said last week that we need to get in our word. We need to read. Then Linda Cat got up and said, this is the word of God. And so when the man of God speaks and then, a, and then someone comes and says, this is what God is saying. This is the word of God. Who are we to say that this isn't the word of God? I think it's the word of God. I think God's trying to get our attention, church. When the man of God speaks, the man of the house speaks and tells us to do something, and then our prayer intercessor gets up and says, no, this is really what God wants us to do. I think God's saying something. Come on. Church, lastly, um, I want to make the worship team up. Church, lastly, you need to know this. We need to know that God is on our team. God's on our team. You may not know that God's on your team. It's been the first time someone's ever told you that God is on your team. My question for you this morning is, do you know that God, that, do you know that God's on your team? Do you want to be on God's team? God has always been on your team since day one. Even when we mess up, even when we sin, God has always been on our team. We need to decide, are we going to be on God's team? And my question for all of us this morning is, if you're not on God's team, what is stopping you right now from jumping on that roster? 
what is stopping you right now from stepping up and saying, I want to be a part of that team? If nothing's stopping you, I, I want you to do two things for me. There's a, 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 another box in the back that says, follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time. Check that box. To let me know, to let the leaders in this church know, we want to send you some stuff to let you know about the decision that's being made about joining God's team for the first time. And if you're checking that box, I'm going to ask the whole church to do this. Can we just bow our heads right now and pray? And if you check that box, just repeat after me. You can be audibly, you can be under your breath, it could be in your head, however. But just repeat this after me and say, God, I know that I am a sinner. And I know that your son has died on the cross for my sins. Lord, come and live inside of me. I give my life to you. This morning, God, I declare I'm on your team. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, thank you so much. Thank you for letting me go a little longer this morning. I'm really sorry. I apologize. But I just want to pray us out, and then uh, the worship team is going to end us in the song. Lord, do we?